um, on the resuscitation front, um, you may remember um, that two, two, not the last time I spoke, but the time before, um, I told you several stories of how I'd done some silly things when I was a junior doctor. Not dangerous things, but silly things. Um, and then Steve, at the end, had felt the need to say that I was a qualified doctor and it was all okay. And then in the last time I spoke, I tried to make up for it by thinking of some good stories of things that I'd done that were really cool, but I'd not managed to think of any, so I just left it neutral and didn't say anything at all. But today, apart from possibly having to resuscitate the tie mic, which would make me look cool, and I could shout stat, and you would all come around and it would look amazing. Um, today, I'm going to tell you a slightly unusual work story about, uh, well, it's sort of a work story. About six months ago, I um, was driving home in the car from Newcastle, where I'd been working from one of the hospitals in Newcastle, and a year or so earlier, I had worked at, um, at a hospital in Middlesbrough called James Cook Hospital. It's a big it's a huge regional hospital, and I'd worked there for a while. Um, so this was a, a long time since I'd worked there. Um, I, on my way home, I, found, I had a missed call, and it was a withheld number, and the only people really who ever call you from withheld numbers uh, are the hospitals. That's the only people that ever called me anyway. Um, and so it was a voicemail. So I listened to the voicemail, and it said, um, this is Middlesbrough James Cook Hospital switchboard. Please, will you ring us urgently? So I thought, oh, Okay, so um, I rang them and I said, hello, my name's Andrew Charlton. <laughs> I, I used to be a doctor at your hospital, but I've got a voicemail that I should ring you urgently. And she said, thank you very much for ringing, Father Charlton. We, we can't get hold of Father McCrurick, and you're the second on-call priest. And I said... Oh, that's not my job. <laughs> I said, I'm really sorry. I'm a hematology registrar, and I did used to work for you, but I work for you no longer. And, but I, I said, I, I will come and pray with someone, but I live an hour away. Is that okay? And she said, it, it's all right. She said, the second on-call priest is Father Charlton, but we've obviously rung the wrong Charlton. So I, I said, you have rung the wrong Charlton, and I'm, the patient will be disappointed if I come in because I'm not a Catholic priest. But I was willing to pray for them. Um, so uh, <laughs> the long and short of that is, um, actually, on that, I, I, as we're talking about that, there is a good reason why um, they have on-call priests in hospitals and for all the positives and negatives of whatever, um, whatever we may feel but the reason that they have that is because actually people don't want it to be too late when they have an opportunity to talk to someone about God. And that's the reason why they do it. These guys are on call 24 hours a day. They get rung to come out of bed into hospital and speak to people um, about God. And we're going to think about, not that precise idea, but we're going to think about this idea that actually with God it is never too late. And that's what we're thinking about this morning. It's never too late with God. I want you to speak, to, uh, turn to the person next to you and say, it's never too late. Good. Speak to the person on the other side and say, even for you. Excellent. So, there was no way that that was just even for you. That just took off into something else over in this section here. Clearly, you're going to be a difficult section. I'll have to keep looking at you all the time. Um, okay, so um, this this word this morning is, um, is connected to something that Pastor Clive shared with us two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, Clive shared with us um, a, a word that God had spoken to him and Pastor Sally while they were in America at Rich and Manuela's wedding from another pastor there. 
um, who had spoken to them um, something that he felt that God was saying to them and to us as a church by extension of that. And part of that word was this, that um, we would see or we would do in one year what has taken us 10 years. We would do or we would see in one year what has taken us 10 years. And so Clive asked us to think about that. What does that look like? What is 10 years in our lives, you know, of change and growth and good things in God look like? And what would it be like if that could happen in our lives in just one year? And he said, he, I mean, he, he, the example he used was, imagine if your boss said to you, I'm going to give you 10 years worth of salary just in the next year. And everyone said, oh, yeah, I get it now. That's good. Yeah. So we, we connect with that idea. But actually, when he was speaking, I felt God um, put on my heart that actually this was not just about collectively us as a church, but that for every single individual here, for all of us in our own lives, that God wanted to say that it was not too late for him to bring something good in the next year out of every part of our lives, even if the years that have gone before have not been good. And God wants to say that to you this morning. The next year, there is a great opportunity to see amazing things happen in every part of life. And on the back of that, we're going to read a passage from the Bible, which is from the book of Ruth. So we're starting at Ruth chapter 1. It's going to come up on the screen. It's already up on the screen. Um, I will read it. Oh dear, I'm unable to swipe fast enough with my finger on the pretend pages. Thanks Jude. So this is Ruth chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. And after they had lived there about ten years, both Marlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, We'll go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. But Ruth replied, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law's going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out and entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Now, this is a long book, and I'm just going to give you the movie trailer bits of it, okay, so that we're not for 25 minutes reading it. So um, Ruth goes into this field, and it turns out Boaz, the owner, this distant relative, offers her his protection and says that she's welcome to come and to work in his field. And so Ruth provides for herself and for her mother-in-law, Naomi, the food that they need to live every day. So this is the start of chapter 3 now. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. And down to verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, unsurprisingly. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. So then, so Ruth goes to him and says, please, will you, redeem, will you buy back our family? We've got nothing. That's, that's the essence of what's happening here. And he says in a potted movie history, that she, he says, there's a guy closer to you than me. He's more related to you than I am, and it's his right, according to our law, that he should have the chance to help your family first. But if he doesn't want to do it, I will do it. And so Ruth and Naomi say, okay, that's fine. And then at the end of chapter 4, which is the, this is the end of the book now, starting from verse 13, so, and the guy says no, so Boaz does it. So it says, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And when he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. And he was the father of Jesse. And he was the father of David. So I want us to understand a little bit what, what it was like to live at this time that this story is told. Where is this? When did this happen? What is it all about? It's such a random place and time. It's far away, disconnected from us, with some odd words in there about harvesting. So let's, let's look at it. So um, the last book before Ruth, there's the very last verse of that book, almost the sentence before this story starts. It says this. At that time, there was no king in Israel. People did 
whatever they felt like doing. It's a good verse, right? It's hardly, you know, it's, it just says something really, really good in one verse. People did whatever they felt like doing. So there was no really visible person who led the people to help them to connect with God. Basically, everyone just muddled their way through life. That's, that's the land that they lived in at that time. And this family, Ruth's family, they weren't a super religious family who were like sort of, you know, the best of the religious people or anything like that. So during the famine in Israel, you know, with the land that God had given the people, they left and went to another land, a land that was an enemy of the people, really, and that they didn't get on with as a nation. And they allowed their sons to marry girls from that country, which was against what God had said to the people of Israel. He'd said that they shouldn't marry into the nations that were around them. And that wasn't because God didn't love those nations or because he didn't want them to know him But it was because he said if the people allowed lots of influence of these other nations into their lives, these nations worshipped gods that, um, you know, they sacrificed children in the fire. The gods were kind of made of wood and stone and they were negative influence in people's lives. And God had said, if you marry into those nations, that you'll be influenced by them and it will take you away from me. And God was right. Surprise. So uh, uh, by the time this had started to happen... People had drifted away from God, and everyone did what he felt like doing. So in some ways, it really isn't a very different country to the country that we live in today. In fact, it's very like our own. She lived in a time very like our own. A country where people used to really connect with God, but now a lot of people may be just trying to muddle their way through, not really sure, can't really see anyone who's showing them how to get to God. Not because we're against God, but just because people just drift through their life trying to do the best that they can. So in the middle of this sort of atmosphere that we live in, this amazing story happens out of the blue. Out of the boringness and sadness of life comes an incredible story. It's a rags to riches story, which, you know, the the tabloids like. It's good. We all like a rags to riches story. It's nice, you know, to see the fairy tale kind of ending. And actually, thanks, Lee. It's actually so much more than a rags-to-riches story. I mean, it is good, isn't it? I'm glad that they, you know, they had nothing at the start, and at the end they had loads. It's like a Disney film. So we all like it when it all works out okay for them. But this story is not about money. Actually, it's about people. The most valuable thing on the planet, this story is about people. It's about marriage. It's about family. It's about children and having children. It's about dreams for the future. It's about making a difference for God. It's about being a history maker. This is a story that says that it's never too late with God. With God, it's never too late for our lives. No part of our lives is it too late for God. Aren't you glad? Isn't that good? Isn't it good that whatever has happened to us, it's not too late for God to turn it around. So who makes the difference in this story? Well, this story is about this woman called Ruth. And we don't know a lot about her except that she wasn't from Israel, so she wasn't considered one of God's chosen people, or she wouldn't have been by that society. We know she was a widow, so at that time she would have had nothing. She had no income, no one to protect her. She had no sort of influence in society. And on top of all of that as well, she had someone to care for, she was looking after someone else, another widow, older than her. And that was the, you know, the, she had that burden in her life. And it was her mother-in-law. I'm not going to make any mother-in-law jokes. My mother-in-law is great. Um, but you think, well, maybe you can manage looking after your own mum. But she's looking after 
her, her husband's mum. That's who she's got left to care for. Um, so you think, well, 10 years had passed Ruth and Naomi. And at the end of that 10 years, all their hard work had come to nothing. They had no husbands. There was no children. And as far as they knew, their family and the name of their family was going to die when they died. All of their 10 years had come to nothing. So it wasn't a great starting point, really, for a really good story about like, how God can change our lives. But it is good to know that, because actually some of us, many of us, may be in that same position today. And if that's the case, God is speaking to you this morning, that he can turn this around. So this is a story about the goodness and kindness of God. God is the one who brings all these things into Ruth and Naomi's life. God is the one who brings Ruth to the field of this good man called Boaz. God is the one who brings all the coincidences together so that they turn out really well. So that's good, because God's the same now. That he's the same God now as he was then. So the question is, what did Ruth do? What was it that's so simple about this woman that she did that made this whole thing change? Well, the first thing she did was she gave herself to God. She gave herself to God. So it sounds like a very spiritual thing to do. She gave herself to God. What does that mean? Well, let me read you some words and see if anyone can tell me where they're from. Some people hopefully will be able to tell me where they're from. All that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. Any ideas? It's from the, wedding, it's from the marriage ceremony. Yeah, that's right. All that I, ha- I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you. So they're really saying... Well, I'm going to use, actually, I'm going to ask Jen and Jared really quickly to come, and I'm going to use them as an example here. Just as a practice. Come on, you're meant to be excited about getting married. Look, look lively. Are you, are you coming up here? Are you going to stay down here? Okay. All right, okay then. Well, I'll be, I'll be Pastor Clive. Okay, so, Jared, repeat these words after me. Um, all that I am. All that I am. I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. Okay, Jen, please give these words to Jared. All that I am, I give to you, and all that I have, I share with you. Okay, good. So, Jared, have you brought all that you have with you? No. Just the shirt on your back. No, okay. Well, hey, man, those words don't mean very much. Jen, have you brought all of yourself with you to give to Jared today? Okay. Have you got all your stuff? Where are all your shoes? No? Jared, got any books to bring to Jen? I do. Okay. Well, okay. Well, we'll call it there then. Okay, that's good, you guys. Thanks very much. God bless you. May your, may your pretend marriage end happily. Give him a great round of applause. Oh dear, that was terrible, wasn't it? They didn't at all have all that they have and all that they gave to share with each other at the wedding. What does it mean? It means, hey, I would give it all up for you. I would give it all up for you. I don't want to, there's an 80s song just coming to my head, but I'm not going to sing it. Okay. (laughs) Uh, No, I'm not going to do it. Um, So, They've still got their own life. Well, obviously, they're not married yet. That wasn't an official wedding, by the way. So they've still got their own lives, and they've still got their own things after the wedding. And I've not asked them, we haven't asked them, to give all of their things to each other and to give everything that they are totally to each other in that particular moment. 
But they have said to each other, if I need to give this all up for you one day, I will do it. If I need to give this up, if you need to have this, I will do it. That's what they said. That's what those words mean, isn't it? All that I am, I give to you, and all I have, I share with you. And in our new lives, these are not the most important things anymore. You will always be first, even though I like these things. You'll always be first before these things and before anything else that I want. So Ruth faced the choice in her life. She could go back to the place that she grew up, the way that she'd always done things before, the idols and the gods that she worshipped in the place that she came from. It was familiar. And it's actually, you know, she could still see it when they were having this conversation with Ruth and Naomi and the other sister, the other daughter. Because Naomi says, look, the land that you live from, it's just there, you can go back to it. So when Ruth says, no, actually, your God will be my God. She's not just saying, hey, like, uh, you know, I'll give it a go sort of thing. She had to, she had to turn away from what she had before. That old way of living didn't work. I'm giving it all up for this new way. That's what it meant when Ruth gave herself to God. So Ruth gave herself to God. It was very simple. Look at the words she said. God, your God is going to be my God. It wasn't super spiritual. It didn't take her a long time. She didn't have to do three months of courses before she did it. She said those words, and her actions followed it. And you knew that God was Ruth's God. And if you've never done that before today, if you're here and you've never asked God to do that, to be your God, it's just as easy. It is just as easy and just as available today as it was for Ruth that day. So Ruth gave herself to God, and she gave herself to a person. She gave herself to a person. There is power. It's not a very fashionable thing to do today, to give yourself to a person, commit yourself to another person. But there is real power in committing yourself to follow a person. And this is the sort of commitment that Ruth made. She did it with her words, what she said. When we actually put words on our lips to another person, it has great power. We can bring life and death with our words, the Bible says. And we've already looked at one of the best examples of this when we're thinking about the marriage ceremony and kind of Jen and Jared, what what they were doing before. They say to each other, I take you to be my husband and my wife. When life is good or bad, if we become rich or if we become poor, if we are ill or if we have fantastic health, until the day that death parts us, I will love you. And I will cherish you. And those are the words that they say to commit themselves to each other. And listen to what Ruth says to her mother-in-law. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people are going to become my people. Your God's going to become my God. Until the day I die, I'm not going to leave you. That was pretty amazing words that she said, hey? And God wants us to be connected and committed to people. If you're married, he wants you to use your words to give yourself that way to your husband or wife. You know, I just want you to know I'm for you. Wherever life takes us, I'm committed to you. Can you imagine what would happen if every husband in the country said that to his wife today? I was thinking there'd probably be some funny looks, you know. Have you crashed the car and lost all our money? Is that what this is all about? It's this issue trying to soften the blow. But then later on, imagine how that person would feel, wow, this person is, they're for me. There's such 
security in that, a feeling of safety. But there's something else about what Ruth did here. She committed herself to a person who would lead her. Naomi was going to lead her. So I went to a wedding last weekend. One of my best friends from, um, well, my best friend from university days here in Newcastle. After graduating, he went home to Lancashire and he joined his brother and his parents and they started a new church. And at the wedding, the best man um, was his older brother who was also the pastor of the church they joined. And he told lots of really good stories about him. Um, but then he saved one story until the end of the speech, which had obviously touched him the most. So he said, after, after his brother, this young man, my friend, had been back at home for just a few weeks, and he was settling into a new job and a new house, he came and knocked on his brother's door one evening. And his brother said, oh, hello. And he said, I just want you to know, whatever you decide to do and wherever you decide to go, However you feel I can best help you here, I want you to know that I'm with you. And his brother, that was the thing that he said for the very end of the best man's speech. And his brother said, that was the most amazing thing that he came and said to me. I just knew that he was committed to me. From the very first people who've, Christians, 2,000 years ago, all the way to today, Christians have been called followers, following Jesus following his word, the Bible. But in practice, that means that we're also following someone else who's committed to him. Tone, Tone and I, my wife, have said to Jesus, yeah, you know, we're going to follow you in our lives. And we've also said, Lord, you know, we're going to follow pastors Clive and Sally here because they're following you and also because you want us to commit ourselves to people. God's a God who commits people to people. So I'm not saying we're all signing our lives over to the first person that tells us to about Jesus. That's obviously not what I'm saying. But I am saying that God's way of leading people is through other people. That's how God leads people. He, he talks to us directly and he does things in our lives directly, doesn't he? But he leads us through other people. And here, Ruth shows how it's done best. Where you go, that's where I'm going. Whatever you have on your heart to do, that's great. Pastor Clive, when you ask us to be part of something that the church is doing, yes, as much as we can do it, whatever we've got to help with it, You can have it. I want you to know that we're with you. All the good things that happened to Ruth were from God because he is kind, he is caring, he's the protector, he is our father. But the good things that came to Ruth came to her through another person because she committed herself to that person. There's great power and great provision for us when we will follow those people that God has given to lead us. So I want to ask you this morning, are you following someone in God? Can you say to pastors Clive and Sally, to your cell leader, as much as I can be, I'm with you. Whatever plans you've got that God's spoken to you about, great. I want to support that. As long as I'm here, I'm going to do it for you. Ruth committed herself to a person. And finally, she gave herself. So she gave herself to God. She gave herself to a person. And she gave herself to being a worker. So in those days, God had given the people a guide to the best way of living. The Bible, it was called the law then. And part of it said that the farmers and the people who were harvesting in the field at the end of the harvest, they shouldn't go back over the ground that they'd already collected up and collected in and brought into the barns. 
So they weren't to go over the second time and pick up the bits were left, but, that were left, but whatever was left behind was to be for the poor so that they could go in the field after it all happened, pick it up and have some food. So people would come together when a field was going to be harvested. They'd hang around, and then after the harvesters had gone through the field and got all the barley or the wheat or whatever it was in, they would follow behind them, and they would get the scraps of what was left. And that was how God made a way for people to provide for other people. So it definitely wasn't a glamorous job. It's a, it's a glamorous story because it's a great story, but it wasn't a glamorous job. It wasn't cool. It was very, very hot. It was the harvest time. It was summer. And it was hard work. You bent over all day and you picked up tiny little bits of barley and wheat that were left. People didn't leave massive stacks of stuff for you. And it was probably a little bit dangerous. But Ruth knew that she could do it, so she volunteered to do it. She had so little to offer. She had no money, no power, no one to speak up for her. And she wasn't even from that country. She was a foreigner. She was an immigrant from a country that was seen as an enemy of the country that she was in. I don't know whether there's any way of feeling less like you're able to do something in the situation that you're in. But she didn't have nothing to give. She had something. So what she could do, she did. And when she did what she could do, she says to Naomi, I'll go and gather in a field. And so she goes into a field. And the, Bi- the words in the Bible that come next are so amazing. They say, Ruth went into this field, and as it turned out, it was the field of Boaz, their relative. So when we do what only we can do, God does what only he can do. So Ruth didn't bring all these great things that happened in this story into her life. Ruth didn't directly bring all those things in, but in her giving of what she could do, it opened up for her a whole change in her entire life. So Ruth, she gave herself to God, she gave herself to a person, and she gave herself to being a worker. And Pastor Clive spoke to us last week about what we have to give. He said that that, um, we, the Bible tells us, you know, we can testify, be a witness to Jesus and what Jesus has done in our lives. That work of telling someone else, do you know, this is what God's done in my life. That simple thing, that's, that's not too dissimilar to this. You don't have to have lots of skillful talents and abilities, and we're all glad about that. But actually, if we can simply go out and say, hey, this is what happened in my life. All I can do is tell you about it. This is what's going on for me. Then that is what Jesus said he needed. He needed workers in the harvest field. And Ruth was a worker. So after what seemed to be 10 years of wasted time and wasted effort, and wasted energy, which had produced nothing, suddenly, in the space of a barley harvest, four months, that was, four months, Ruth and Naomi's family had hope, they had a new start, they had provision, they had a wedding, they had a future, they had a family, they had another generation, there was a child. The family name was not going to die out. And the family carried on, and two generations below that child that was born came King David. And he did turn that whole country around for God. No one could do it when Ruth was there, but her actions gave birth to someone who transformed that nation forever. 
And many generations down from David came Jesus. And he transformed the world so that it will never be the same. And this all came through one woman who committed herself to God. She gave herself to be led by another person in God. And she simply went out and was a worker. She did what she could do. But because she did those things, God transformed their whole nation within 60 or 80 years, 100 years maybe. And then he transformed the whole world after Jesus was born. And that's why we sit here as a result of Ruth's picking up of those pieces of barley in that field. And that same amazing ability, that potential for God to do in four months what had been lost in ten years is what God's speaking to us about this morning. So I don't want us to lose sight of the the fact that God is actually speaking to us as a church and he's speaking to us as individuals. He's speaking about marriages. He's speaking about families. He's speaking about weddings. He's speaking about children. He's speaking about new people. God is speaking to us about every part of life. It's not too late, whatever the years may have been like before this year, it is not too late for God to do something that changes us forever. And that's true for every person here. 